right, that is Kendrick Lamar music from the Black from Black Panther. Excuse me. Uh, we are going to be talking today about Black Panther. We're going to be talking about Chris Rock's new comedy special. We're going to be talking about Fergie's uh, NBA All Star Game debacle. Uh, joining uh, me are Tanisha Dugan, producing associate at TheaterWorks, Rich Holland, uh, principal and design director at CoLab, uh, and a commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. Kate Russian, a poet who teaches writing and literature for Hartford Youth Scholars. I am your host, Whitey. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to a very black episode <laughs> of The Nose. Right. So um, we're going with black. Yeah, we're going with yeah. We well, no, I said people of color during the billboard. Somebody texted in an objection to that right away. Um, so you can't go right. That's the uh, that's the key. All right. So we all went to see Black Panther uh, on a, what it was a very very busy movie weekend uh, for Black Panther. Uh, it is has broken some box uh, um, office records uh, and come close to breaking other ones. The um, the soundtrack that you just heard, the album, is also a, a big hit right now. Uh, there are lots and lots of ways in which this feels like uh, it could be, anyway, something very, very pivotal. Um, so uh, we're going to start there uh, and then uh, go to Chris Rock. and then uh, So you won't have to listen to Fergie for a while. That's what, <laughs> that's, I'm just promising. I'm promising you that you won't have to and that then you will. Um, so I just want to maybe just you know take everybody's temperature here uh, on Black Panther generally. I know at least one of you's. Did anybody besides Kate see it more than once? No. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, Kate, since you saw it twice, you get to go first. All I just right. made up that rule. All right. Well, that's what white people do. We make up rules. You know. <laughs> All right. Oh, on well, the spot. Starting mm-hmm. right. That's, that's how right. whitey do. All right. Speaking of white people and Black Panther, yeah. I'll start off by saying it was kind of fun and funny to see white white characters playing the sidekick mm. comic mm. relief role. Martin Freeman, we should say, plays so sort of a. A friendly, goofy, semi-dopey CIA agent. Yeah, and... Because and the CIA agent's been so great in Africa. Yes, <laughs> they played such a positive yeah. role yeah. there. But I, 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 I enjoyed that, that, that humor. I enjoyed all the, the inside jokes. I actually wasn't expecting humor, and I thought a lot of it was funny, and people I w- w- saw it with in the audience thought it was funny um, as well. I do not know the entire history of Black Panther and Wakanda. I have not read all of the comics from 1966, and I really enjoyed it, really had a great time. And I love the shout-out to Grace Jones Mm -hmm. as the precursor to Mm Afrofuturism. I love the look, and I love the style. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should say Black Panther introduced as... A, a comic book character actually before the Black Panther movement started uh, in America. And now that I tell you that, you probably also can guess that for a while Marvel changed his name to Black Leopard uh, and had <laughs> – this is true actually. This is true. And then had him as a character in the comic book explain that he he he, he was changing his name because he didn't want to get too political. Um, so so there you go. All right. Uh, Tanisha, you're up. That's interesting that uh, that happened considering that I think the movie actually tries to be very political. Um, and it succeeds in some ways and fails in others. I had a good time too. Um, you know, it's a it's a comic book movie. It's probably not like the greatest comic book movie I've ever seen. Um, and I was actually talking to a friend who saw it as well. And my experience was the sound wasn't wasn't like what I am accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't sort of wrap me. Um, and maybe that was Ryan's purpose, Ryan Coogler, the director, um, to sort of bring it down um, to a more human scope. I don't know. Um, but for what it is and what it's 
doing. Um, I'm really, really excited by it. Before we go to Rich, uh, I just want to say, uh, yes, directed by Ryan Coogler, whose previous work has been Fruitvale Station and Creed. Creed, um, I thought, was an amazing uh, pre, sort of post-cursor to Rocky and maybe pre-cursor to this. He works with Michael B. Jordan, the actor in all of his movies. Uh, Michael B. Jordan plays, I would not exactly say the villain uh, in this, but certainly the, the character who's in opposition to the hero, if that makes you the villain. Let's play a little clip uh, from this before we go to Rich, uh, you're going to hear um, a, a discussion. You'll, you're going to hear the the, uh, the uh, hero of this movie himself, played by played by Chadwick Boseman, uh, talk about how to deal effectively with the villain named Claw. 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 Yes. Claw. 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 Claw something. Ulysses Claw plans to sell the vibranium to an American buyer in South Korea tomorrow night. Claw has escaped our pursuits for almost. 30 years. Not capturing him is perhaps my father's greatest regret. I wish to bring Claw back here to stand trial. Wakanda does not need a warrior right now. We need a king. My parents were killed when he attacked. Not a day goes by when I do not think about what Claw took from us. From me? It's too great an opportunity to pass. Take me with you. We'll take him down together, side by side. They need you here, protecting the border. Then I ask, do you kill him where he stands? Or you bring him back to us? You have my word. I will bring him back. Uh, you also hear the voices of Daniel uh, Kaluuya, you, whom you first met in Get Out. He's playing a character named Wakabi, uh, apparently a friend to T'Challa, the leader of uh, of this tribe. And uh, you're also hearing the fabulous Dene Gurira uh, as Okoye. Uh, you know her probably best as Michonne from The Walking Dead. She's also a, a pretty interesting playwright whose work has been done at Yale Rep. So, Rich. Wait, before Rich hops in, I want to say mm-hmm. I love that you picked this clip yeah. because the accents give us such a beautiful sort mm-hmm. of understanding of the pan-Africanism, um, and I think you get to hear it on radio in a way that you don't get to hear it that's when you point. see it on TV. So well done, you guys. That's uh, a really beautiful right, sort of absolutely. way to show us all that. All right. I'm going to pretend that we had a lot of other clips to choose from and accept that compliment. <laughs> uh, anyway, go ahead. So this was beautiful, first of all. And and as a testament to you, Black is Beautiful, this lived up to that completely. Uh, I appreciated uh, the um, the film processing technology in that mm. that made black people look amazing for once. I mean, to think about the legacy that we came from where, uh, where film and video was actually really um, crafted uh, for white complexions uh, and leaving uh, black folks uh, literally in the shadows all the time. Um, and uh, that to me is one of the most resonating things about this movie. Every statement that's made about it, uh, however literal you're trying to be, ends up being symbolic by nature. Mm-hmm. And, and that works in a lot of ways. I thought that this was beautiful and spectacular. Um, I, I think that uh, the challenge with the hype around this movie is that it's being sold as hype. And it's not a hype at all. This mm-hmm. is first step. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as first step, it's very, very legitimate and worth watching. If there's one thing that I absolutely would want to change about it right now is I desperately wanted this thing to end with Wycliffe singing Wakanda, Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
you know, Janisha, you said comic book movie, and it is. It's a comic book movie based on a comic book character. It has so many other ambitions layered over that. I don't think there have been a lot of comic book movies. And as you say, there may have been some comic book movies that, you know, in some ways, you know, executed that form more effectively or more excitingly than this. Because this thing has so many other ambitions, as you say, uh, a lot of political dialogue going in there, a lot of philosophical dialogue going uh, on in there. I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's bitten off a really big chunk. Uh, Ryan Coogler, and, and and then the question is like, like, can he really do all the, those things in in two hours plus? How does he do? You know, it's interesting. I think you know, I press against the word ambition in the same way that you do about hype because I think um, you know when you're when you're taking on something of this stature, right? A two hundred million dollar budget um, for a guy whose films have been, you know, in the five to ten million dollar range. You know um, what you're going into. And and interestingly enough, this project was actually Ava DuVernay's uh, before um, Ryan. 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 (laughs) Exactly. Before uh, Ryan stepped in. And so I think, yes, there was an understanding that this was major. There was an understanding that here is this this script that laid out some given circumstances that we had never experienced before, Um, a setting in Africa, an all-black list of characters. Um, And what does that mean uh, when you take that on? What what do you have to accomplish uh, when you do that? And I think some of the basic things, like making sure it's beautiful, making sure that this medium um, does us right, Um, and I think black is the appropriate... uh, way to talk about us because it is pan-African. It, it does cover all of the of the kinds and types and styles and colors of blackness. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, he had a lot to, to he had a lot of history. Uh, he was really dug into the ancestors as this movie um, so beautifully talks about. Um, and so maybe that's the thing instead of ambition. There was, there was, the honoring our ancestors, the story that came before us that that he was trying to put forth. And and I think that he is successful in that. Um, I think we live in a weird political climate where it's hard to do that well. Um, and some of that, I think, bled into it for me and making it maybe not as successful in some places. Um, but I think he honored the ancestors um, in trying to be as ambitious uh, in this project. I'm sort of also wondering how big a, a change this is going to bring about. I mean, the the box office success of this thing proves all kinds of stuff. Not only that a black audience will support this movie, but that a white audience will support this movie. The latest market thing that I saw was 37 percent of the audience is black, um, and and. You just sort of wonder, you know, I mean, I think it's impossible to know, Kate, right now, but it seems as though it might mean a different kind of pop cultural – I mean, everybody wants to make $235 million in their first four-day weekend, so I'm guessing other people are going to go chase this this rabbit. Well, I, you know, I certainly hope that, that it represents a real change. Uh, and, and I guess what I want to say about it is that – representations do matter, even in comics. And uh, while this, this, this movie deals with honoring the ancestors, which I think is beautiful, it doesn't, it's not only searching for a, a mythic past, but it's projecting mm-hmm. black people mm-hmm. into the future, which is a big new thing that we haven't seen on the big screen in quite right. quite the same way. on Earth created yeah. by black people. Yeah, right. absolutely. And yeah. the the last time um, 
I saw uh, folks raising money to send black children to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, was not um, well. The time before Black Panther that I remember seeing that was from Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And if we take a study of contrast of these two movies, um, I'm going to argue that um, that Black Panther. Uh, uh, operated in the context of politics, mm-hmm. uh, but didn't touch politics in any way, shape, or form. Um, in, in a lot of ways, uh, I, I believe that um, I feel like the, the black story um, was, uh, was kind of cleansed a bit uh, mm-hmm. to make it more acceptable. Uh, for a broader audience. You should, you should say a little bit more, but I, I know because of the emails that we send, I, I think I know anyway what you mean by this. Let me just set you up just to, um, so Michael B. Jordan in, in this plays, as I said, the person who at least whose ideas and goals are very different from those of the hero and, and therefore I guess he kind of is the villain. But like a lo- lot of Marvel comic universe heroes, but more so than ever, he plays this uh, this this guy whose name is kind of loaded up, uh, Eric Killmonger, uh, but but he plays a, this as a guy who has uh, a, a vision that's not entirely a negative one. I don't want to s- spoil too much of this for people who haven't seen this movie, but it's it's not entirely a negative one, and it's one that people walk out of the movie theaters going, well, you know, Eric was really right about a lot of that stuff. You know, he wasn't he wasn't completely off base in some of the things that he was saying. You set it up in in our emails as a, a, yeah. a Martin and Malcolm dynamic. Yeah, that's. That's sort of that's what I saw it playing out there. Um, uh, uh, the ideologies of our hero in this story, Chala, was uh, particularly Malcolm. It was uh, it was a um, it was it had a lot of acceptability politics around it. Um, it was uh, it was um, uh, a black man who was uh, who preferred um, isolation and separatism to revolution and uh, and antagonism. Uh, so th- there were a lot of those dynamics that were going on uh, that uh, that allowed us to take a look at um, a powerful black cre- a powerful black human as a non-threatening entity mm-hmm. to white people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whereas, the, and you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, it aligned with Martin, right? And um, and then we take a look at uh, at uh, at Eric Killmonger, and um, and he aligned so perfectly well to me with with Malcolm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there was a verdict in the movie uh, about uh, what's acceptable. Um, that we may agree that uh, that uh, that Killmonger's may be right, but he's not right for right now. Hmm. Um, and uh, and to me, I'm still uh, longing uh, for uh, for the change uh, to come when we can sell this much in tickets and end it with uh, well. Eric was right. Mm. Two things. One, I love where you're thinking. And that was sort of I, I, I struggled with this dynamic a bit because Eric also was represented by an African-American. Mm-hmm. Right. So that perspective was distinctly of a black American perspective or uh, point of view. I just and want to clarify I, what you're saying. The character actually is Af- African-American. Exactly. He's, he's well, a character who's grown up in America. Correct. While the other... Uh, characters are African. Um, And that was probably one of the things that stuck with me when when I left. I thought, oh, that's interesting. This idea that the Killmonger is a black American, the idea that the revolutionary is a black American makes sense, but that he is uh, sacrificed ultimately Mm -hmm. was interesting 
to me. Um, and then the second point to your thing about the narrative, right? Yes, this movie made a lot of money, but what it brings to the table to me is this idea of are we ready for narratives that look like this to continue to be told over and over again? Yes, this movie made a lot of money. Yes, it made a lot of money because of the construct around it, that it is a comic book movie. Um, are we ready to allow the culture to broaden in a way that includes these stories truly? Um, or is this a one-off? Is this another kind of circus act in that way? Well, Kate, we, we might get an answer when Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan move on to their next movie, which is called Wrong Answer. It's about the Atlanta uh, school cheating scandals with a, a Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, screenplay. It won't be anything like Black Panther. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that we have this other movie, this serious movie based in history coming out. Uh, after from them af, from that team after Black Panther, rather than going right to the next blockbuster uh, sequel. But I wanted to get back to something that Rich said. I'm glad you brought up uh, Malcolm X. That Spike Lee's Malcolm X. I have seen it again, and I I, I feel the same way I felt at the beginning. Uh, they was robbed mm -hmm. of their Oscar nominations. Mm -hmm. Uh, if not winning outright, I think they won for costume or something like that. And um, it would be really interesting to look at Spike Lee's Malcolm X now in alongside of, uh, of Black Panther. And I think one thing that um, I think we can't, f I know we're going to talk about it, um, that uh, added to the power of Black Panther is that the women in the film have their own power or and are as as powerful as the men mm -hmm. and i think that's where a lot of the uh, the 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 power of the movie comes from mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that now, too. Yes, we have Lupita Nyong'o, uh, of course, the Yale Drama School graduate and uh, someone we, I think, first met in 12 Years a Slave. Uh, I've already mentioned Dene Gurira, uh, Angela Bassett. Uh, so, Tanisha, as she's saying, some really, really great and very powerful women characters. Amazing women char uh, characters. And, um, you know, this play, this movie has been a great opportunity for cosplay for black people. Um, it's been something that we've participated in forever, but to be able to do uh, that and characters that look exactly like us is really exciting. Yeah, um, I love that. Uh, I was just seeing if you were, had anything on in particular. Right well, now. I was going to. <laughs> you have I had totally you planned have your on it. Vibranium necklace. I do have my vibranium necklace, and then I got dressed this morning and completely forgot. So I was planning on on dressing up for this occasion. Um, but I, I love that. I love that. Um, these women stand on their own. They challenge their men. They are, are partners, equal partners with them. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And I want to clarify something about this sort of idea of circus act. Part of I, the reason I think Black Panther has made so much money is on the backs of black people and black money. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm actually curious if – I know we'll come out for the next Ryan Coogler, um, Michael B. Jordan film. We will. And we will probably come out within the same – amount of financial dollars we're, go we're going to support. I'm actually curious whether our kin, our brethren who are of lighter skin tones, who are less melanated, will continue <laughs> to support this work, to support these narratives um, in this way. Yeah, I, I, you know, well, first of all, I do think uh, we're going to have to switch topics here fairly soon, Rich, but uh, I do feel as though Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan are right now the Scorsese and De Niro of their moment. I mean, I... I I want to see anything that they work on together. I feel like Michael B. Jordan is a very unusual actor in that, like, not only have I enjoyed everything, pretty much everything he's ever done, except, you know, some 
dismissible uh, popular uh, entertainment movies. But like I knew the name of every character he ever played. He was Wallace in The Wire, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was Vince on Friday Night Lights. Like I just, you know, there's something about him, right? You just you you he makes you know him as an actor. Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely it makes you know him, and um, and he wears his emotions on his face and you you can't erase that and um and he's in my lens unapologetically black mm-hmm. and uh and that's a lovely thing to see um uh yeah i don't have much more to add to that well speaking of unapologetically black maybe we should uh, segue uh, right off the back of that into chris rock chris rock mm-hmm. has a brand new special out released on onto netflix mm-hmm. called tambourine uh, and um, so uh, actually maybe we could just begin by by hearing a clip from Tambourine. Here uh, he is talking about uh, bringing his one of his daughters to school uh, for orientation day. Uh, he's also talking about the need, he thinks, for bullies. So I'm, I'm at the school, I'm at the school, and the lady comes back out. She goes, I want you to know that the school has absolutely no bullies. We have a no bully policy. We don't, we, don't, we don't permit bullying. Any bullies will be kicked out of school immediately. And right then, I wanted to take my daughter out to school. I was like, what kind of half-assed education is this? We need bullies. Bullies do half the work. That's right. Teachers do one half. Bullies do the whole other half. And that's the half you're gonna use as a grown-up. I'm telling you, we need bullies. That's why there's so many fat kids in school right now. Because there's nobody to take their lunch money. You know what they buy with all that money? Seconds. We need bullies, man. That's how Trump became president. That's exactly what happened. We got rid of bullies, a real bully showed up, and nobody knew how to handle it. So there's Chris Rock. Uh, By the way, I'm sitting here in the studio on the nose with Tanisha Dugan, Rich Holland, and Kate Russian. Um, uh, We we had differing reactions to this special. It's a special that in a way, I don't know, as I've gone back over it getting ready today, I find myself liking parts of it that I didn't really like very much the first time uh, I heard them. But Tanisha, you you straight up, uh, you you liked this. I did. I laughed. I laughed so hard I cried. Uh, Maybe not that part. Um, But I did. I mean, I guess I should say that my sense of humor probably tends to, in this realm. You know, I'm sure there are people listening who heard this bullying section and were appalled. I actually think he's spot on right. So I should at least explain that that's where I sit to begin with. So all of this is just um, sort of truth telling that I like to hear. Um, But I I think, you know, and I was teasing these guys, but I do think that I I may sit in a different place and am able to appreciate it because he is not literally my peer. And so I'm not mining it for any, um, there are some truths to my life that I see, but I'm not trying to, to match it perfectly to the moment that I'm in that is also parallel mm. to his. Um, and so I think I have a separation from it in a way that allows me to see it as funny that, um, 
you know, some of some folks who have lived more than I, who have seen more turns around the sun, uh, have not um, enjoyed as much. Well, I mean, I think one thing, Rich, is sort of undeniable here is he's in a more pained and painful place than we've ever seen him in before. He is talking very frankly about the circumstances of his divorce, sometimes very self-laceratingly about the circumstances uh, of his divorce, uh, talking also about porn addiction, his own porn addiction, in a way that you typically don't hear people uh, talk. Uh, We're meeting a slightly different version of this guy we've known for so long. So we are meeting a slightly different version, and I just don't feel like he met us. Um, he still – he was talking about his porn addiction. He was talking about, you know, about tambourining and uh, and how one uh, behaves as a second in a relationship. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the entire time the guy felt like he was – speaking about a foot behind where he was standing, um, that he was using his entire body as a shield uh, from telling the truth, um, from telling a deeper truth and and being real in it. Uh, I think that Chris Rock is particularly at his best um, when he's delivering commentary. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think uh, to – embedded in Tanisha's point, a place where I really love Chris Rock is when – I'm not sure if he's telling me what he really thinks or if he's playing the opposite game with me and telling me what he really thinks at the same time when I just really can't tell if he's being straight with me. Uh, And when he does that intentionally, it's fabulous. You know, when he's hiding, it doesn't feel so fabulous any longer. And that's where he loses me. Kate, give me your thoughts. Yeah. So um, first of all, I would say that the thing about live performance is that the performer is having to make a connection with their audience. And so I think watching a filmed live performance already puts us at a remove. Uh, And I'm sure that Chris Rock was probably connecting with the people in the room with him. But some of it didn't carry to me. I laughed, but sometimes he struck me as kind of an embittered uncle – and with some of the the jokes, I almost expected him to go like Henny Youngman on us and say, like, take my wife. And uh, I did not appreciate the fact that he used his daughter's real names and that s- uh, some of the name checks he had in his little sex jokes were were were, were women that we know, like Halle Berry – Rihanna, Aretha. I don't know his history with Rihanna. Maybe there was more truth to that. But or Aretha. Uh, or or Aretha. Yeah, we don't want to spoil that joke for you. But he yeah. does he does talk about he does start yeah. he does set up a joke by saying, I was at a party with Rihanna recently, yeah. which is a hard place to bring us with you too. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. So um I when I looked looked at it again, I think I appreciated more, but I think I was I felt like I was almost seeing a ghost of Chris Rock. Yes. I wonder if I if if part of my ability to because I don't think that you're wrong. I actually think that that's one of the things that's compelling. And I'm looking at Rich when I say I don't think you're wrong, because I think that part of him hiding is actually really interesting. To the same way that like that part of him name checking pe- people is very interesting to me in the world we live right now, where like you can find that information if you mm-hmm. want to. He can not say the names. 
if that makes us feel better in the live moment, but we could easily go and figure out who he's talking about. And we probably did. And we probably, yeah. I did anyway. Exactly. And I, and, and we are all hiding in plain sight. Mm -hmm. And I love, I kind of loved that dynamic in this piece that he is, he is talking about where he wants to be and sometimes saying it as if this is where he is. But I, I appreciated that, that tension. I think, the, for me, yes, and so that's that's a cool tension when when it works. Um, and there were moments in in this uh, in this piece where it actually worked really well, and I felt him, and I laughed, and I and he just felt like he came together with himself. But then there's a bulk of it that just he didn't he when he starts when this guy is talking about um, the struggle, you know, and when he's talking about. Uh, on in one breath that uh, that to legitimize himself mm -hmm. uh, in the courts, he bought a million dollar mansion, a multi million dollar mansion around the corner from his wife, mm -hmm. and then starts talking about sending his kids out with the truth about what the black struggle is in America. I'm like, dude, come on. But yeah. I think about LeBron James this weekend, right? Mm -hmm. I think about LeBron James coming out and being like, yeah, I have this million dollar house, but they still press, you know, sprayed nigger on my my fence. Right. So I think he can have both of those things yeah. be true. Well, I, I think that's been one of his great kind of uber jokes yeah. for decades, right? It is look at me. I'm incredibly successful. I'm incredibly rich. I'm incredibly well-loved. And he's talking to the white people in the audience and he said, and you still wouldn't trade places with me, with me, would right, you? Right. That's been one of his great lines. Right, the Kate, this, this, <laughs> Kate, the, yeah, the, the dentist thing is like one of my favorite things yeah. that he's ever done. Yeah. The, Kate, this time, to Rich's point, I thought, I'm not sure he would trade places with us at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, right. I mean, he, he seems a little bit, even though in talking about his divorce, he says, I'm talking to you from hell right now. That obviously is a, a very fresh hell for him. But, you know, in the rest of his life, I mean, to Rich's point, I, I sort of thought, oh, yeah, you yeah know, you he's know, Chris Rock now. Yeah, you know, I, I, I felt that I was watching uh, – a grown man struggling with what it means to be a black man in America and struggling with his own sense of his own masculinity. And I felt that maybe maybe it was a little bit too soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had to fulfill his Netflix contract, but, you know, maybe a little bit down the line, mm -hmm. he will have worked out some of this uh, for himself. Yeah, I, I think I, you hit on something. And yeah. he yeah. actually posted uh, a picture of him, Chris Tucker, Kevin Hart, and Dave Chappelle. And the comment is, um, I don't know who's opening, but Dave is definitely the closer. Yeah. And so I think he's really aware of the fact that, like, yes, I think the Netflix money came and he was like, got to do this live mm -hmm. show. And I think he probably needed a couple more outings to really like craft the story um, because the tambourine thing is a little pat right like yeah. in the way in the way that Dave sort of circles back around his his sort of joke in a way that is just really well crafted so I think he gets that and I like process I mean I spend my life watching live performers all the time yeah. so I'm like into the failure right I, I think I, we have to take a break here. I, I'll just say one of my – you've got me thinking about the fact that Chappelle, who I think has been pretty brilliant in these last two specials, doesn't – he seems like he doesn't care whether anybody likes him or not. Mm -hmm. This is just like, this is me. I got over that whole idea of whether you like me or not a long time ago. For Chris Rock, I think he's still kind of on that journey. He's actually introducing the audience to ways in which he doesn't like himself and maybe they won't like him yeah. either. And, 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 and of, he's still referencing the fact that uh, – 
he didn't finish high school or only went as far as high school. Yeah. And I'm like, after all this dude, yeah. you're going back you're to, the other side to of that. All right. have high school? So we got to take a quick break because we promised you Fergie. That's in our contract. We got to do it. I, I feel as though my life as an American has uh, included many, many conversations about various people singing the national anthem, what people <laughs> think of as the wrong way, Aretha Franklin at national conventions. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, take your pick. Yeah, Jose Feliciano, I think Kate, you brought that up uh, in one of the emails. Um, and actually, maybe just to set this up uh, before we get to Fergie, uh, let's hear, I, I, I will not forget for a long time in 1983, uh, I was watching as a fan, the NBA All-Star Game, Mar- Marvin Gaye came out to sing uh, the national anthem. He was about one year out from having released Sexual Healing, which is not an unimportant thing to know as you listen to this version. Can you see Prior to that, I would have said you couldn't have sex to the national anthem. But <laughs> I mean, clearly... yes, you heard the panties dropping <laughs> yeah, as the women right. yelled and screamed Is that what you heard? in the background. I thought that was the national ridiculous. anthem straight out of Lion King. It was amazing. Oh, my God. So ridiculous. Um, uh, so <laughs> that was then. That was the NBA All-Star Game in 1983. Uh, here is the NBA All-Star Game in 2018. Oh, say, can see by the dawn's early light what's so proudly wave at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. All right. Uh, it gets worse, actually. It gets quite a bit worse. Uh, and that was not Maya Rudolph uh, deliberately messing up the national anthem. That was Fergie. Fergie, she of the Black Eyed Peas. Um, and, you know, it just, like, <laughs> my favorite thing about this was the noise Rich made. So, so maybe you should have the first word here. So... I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't get a chance to hear it. Um, and wow, this is awful. This is ill-advised. To exactly. Say the l- <laughs> I mean, that is the question, I mean, right? you had to run that where by somebody. Like, <laughs> where are her people? Where were her people? Where were her people? There you go. Oh, you have to stop this. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're getting to the point that's been now auto-tuned into this next meme. Yeah. Got to hear that. You know, I, I, I think Fergie was uh, trying to uh, channel Billie Holiday and Lady Day refused to show up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think she doesn't actually have the facility to pull this off. And I mean, I'm so glad you gave us the Marvin Gaye version because at least we see there's like a history <laughs> 
so distracting. So like, at least we have a history of these kinds of remakes because I couldn't quite figure out why it was even necessary. Um, but I think knowing that this is like a thing to to reimagine how in what style to do the national anthem. The problem is she just couldn't pull it off. She just does not have the technical facility to sing it in the style of jazz. That would be problem one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say another part of this. I mean, once again, as we talk, my thoughts are congealing a little bit better. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, for Jose Feliciano to uh, overlay uh, any kind of Latin or flamenco mm-hmm. so- sound onto the national anthem is a pretty natural inborn choice, right. you know, and for Aretha Franklin to gospelize it is mm-hmm. a natural inborn choice. Here, to your point, Kate, she's kind of trying to be somebody that she's not and she's not ever going to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. I, I do feel bad for her because I, 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 I did watch the tape and I saw her, her face after and she really did. She really Try. was trying her best. Mm. And she really thought she had nailed this it. This is why so, we need bullies. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, well, or at least directors. I say at least directors and stage managers. So I'm going to ask a question. And I know in my brain it sounds a little sarcastic, but I really don't mean it as sarcasm. What is the inborn natural choice for white people? <laughs> um, sort of the rest of culture, basically. We just sort of get to, to take our pick. No, I, I think maybe the answer to that is for, if I were – Advising Fergie, and as all of you have suggested, there's some question as to whether anybody advised her or how anybody could have heard that as a rehearsal or <laughs> how she could have done it in front of a mirror and not, you know, had some idea. Uh, I, I think you, in this case, what you would you do is you start by just when you're practicing, you just sing the song exactly, <laughs> exactly. exactly as it was written, as it's written. <laughs> and then yeah. you can begin to ask yourself questions about what you can bring to this particular song. Uh, and I thought one of the one of the things that I mean, I think increasingly we live in an age where competitions like American Idol and the voice have kind of wrecked singing anyway. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that they've got to do tons of melisma yeah. and, and just mm-hmm. sort of over ornamentation. Uh, the people who can just get up there and sing a song and bring out its pure musical qualities. Not that this song has any particularly laudable musical qualities. And we won't even talk about the third verse. No, right? or the but, fact but, that it's an I English think you're drinking right. song. I, guess, I, guess I think you're absolutely making. right that like no one sings a song straight up. And right. that would have been the most obvious choice. And this is a hard song right. to sing straight up. Straight, exactly. <laughs> so so if to, to be more specific about my, my question, right? Um, mm. The culture that Jose Feliciano uh, leaned into uh, is clear. The 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 cultural uh, uh, legacy that um, that uh, the deep Wait. roots of what Marvin Gaye leaned into very very clear, mm-hmm. um, and, and I guess I'm getting to uh, if you're not appropriating, what are you doing right. in this instance? Uh, Beverly Sills. Right. Well, I mean that was that was the question that we we sort of danced around when we talked about how well how and why are we talking about Fergie doing this and how or why does this relate to the other things we've talked about today. And I and I do think that that is the dance that Fergie is doing. You know, she's mm-hmm. been lauded for a long time as a white girl who is really comfortable singing in black sounds. And she's done it in a way that never felt like, or some would argue didn't feel like she was appropriating. There's something about this new version of her. And she's not just doing it with the anthem. I mean, I've seen her in other places where she, 
the singing, the, the new album she's working on or just come out or whatever, is very much in this sort of jazz road. And I think it's her trying to reinvent herself outside of sort of the sexualized pop star that um, most women have to lean into mm. to to survive. And, you know, she's a mom and, you know, she's a divorcee and, and all of the things that play in your mind about what does that mean? What does that look like? I think she's trying to rewrite who she is outside of the pop landscape. And I don't know what the options are, um, truly. That, that's all good. But how did she get this job? Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a good singer in there. I really uh, do. Why think not there's Christina a Aguilar? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I think that the album you're talking about was released last year. And the only reason that I know that is that I encountered, as I was just sort of doing some research, uh, such as it is for this particular segment, the phrase long-awaited Fergie double album. <laughs> and, and I thought... It made me think of last year John Oliver using the phrase the only he's saying the only phrase more off-putting than featuring Sting. Uh, <laughs> I think we now know what that phrase is. All right, you know what? We should take a break so we'll have time to recommend some things, and we'll be back. I was going to make a joke about, you know, what will this do to sales of the Fergie Christmas album, but now I'm worried that maybe there really is a Fergie Christmas album. Can somebody else Google that? I'm scared of what I might find. Today's show was produced by Jonathan Panschala and me, Kion Wolf. Amanda Fish stars in The Black Piranha. The part of Bill Curry was played by Andy Serkis. On Monday's show, we'll be back with news from over the weekend on The Scramble. And now... Back to Colin. All right. Here on this show, we like to recommend things to you uh, towards the end here. Let's uh, start over on this side with Rich Holland. What have you got? Uh, I've got two quick ones. Uh, One is a uh, six-episode series of interviews with David Letterman on Netflix. It's called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction with David David Letterman. Uh, I watched uh, immediately after the Chris Rock uh, bit, um, Letterman's interview with Obama. And Obama at this point uh, transcends being interviewed. Uh, You just kind of bring him on and he is himself. And it's refreshing. And uh, and they got to a piece of really honest truth with each other uh, about legacy and luck towards the end of this thing that's worth uh, watching just for that. Um, and uh, next up, I think it's George Clooney, and um, there's a host of really good folks there. Um, the other thing I want to recommend to everybody in, in the spirit of what this week has been for me with, uh, with Chris Rock and, uh, and Black Panther and being on with, uh, with uh, Kate and, uh, and, and, and Tanisha right now, <laughs> <laughs> um, go to uh, discoveringdiversity.com. Uh, it's the website for the Discovery Center, who's uh, an organization in Hartford working on racial equity. And they have workshops uh, on, on diversity, on equity, diversity, and inclusion. They're really cheap and so powerfully transformative, whether uh, you're a person of color or white or uh, marginalized or right smack in the center. Um, well worth uh, the time. Awesome. All right, then. So, Tanisha, what have you got for us? I got three. So the first one is an endorsement of love and of pressing. Uh, J.V. Harvey, he has a book, too, uh, Steady Rain, which is an adult erotic thriller. 
and Harvey Little Little Brown Duck, which is a children's book. Um, and he's going to be at the Barnes & Noble on Front Street on Wednesday. So that's my first endorsement. My second is I'm endorsing students um, because I've been really excited to see what's happening around um, gun laws, gun rights, um, so Emma Gonzalez for president. But also I hope, it is my hope that this doesn't become like the Arab Spring, where we see students rise up and make a stand and that we don't all rally around them and support because we all believe in what they're saying. So let's all take courage and uh, follow behind them. Um, and my last one is Mary Poppins. Why Mary Poppins? Because I'm in an interesting time as a culture creator where people are asking for sugar. They want sugar, they want sugar, they want sugar. Please, the world is so hard. Um, and I'm endorsing Mary Poppins because the sugar is to help the medicine. Mm -hmm. um, let us continue to provide the medicine even if it is with a dose of sugar. So you're, you're endorsing the movie, Mary Poppins. The movie, yes. Yeah. There's a new one coming out. But what I like the really? old one, too. Yeah. Yes, a new one with uh, Emily Blunt. The, um, the, the books are one. also, they're really, the books are really they different. Are. I grew up with the books. I loved the books. They were they were not sugary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I really, truly loved them as a kid. Anyway, yeah. Kate, what have you got? All right. So tomorrow I'm part of a forum public discussion sponsored by the Hartford Public Library, the Amistad Center, and the Wadsworth Athenaeum on uh, the Big Read book for 2018, Citizen and American Lyric by Claudia Rankin. And people can go to faculty at wadsworthathenaeum.org or the uh, Hartford Public Library um, website for information. And inspired by Black Panther, I looked up the so-called Dahomey Amazons and their history uh, they were the historical basis for the women guards, king's guards. We're called the – I now know – I can now tell you they're called the Dora Milaje. Yes. And, and um, so you can go online and find out about them. And the last so-called Dahomey Amazon actually lived until the 1970s. Also, please go to YouTube and check out Avery Brooks as Captain Ben Sisko. <laughs> Star, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as well as Nichelle Nichols, uh, who played Lieutenant Uhura on the original Star Trek. And uh, she's on the, S the Smithsonian Channel and the Television Academy Channel. And she tells this incredible story about how she was offered a pre-Broadway musical role, and it actually was going to hand in her resignation to Roddenberry, and she just by chance met Martin Luther King, and he convinced her to stay on the show. All right. So um, I've got two recommendations for you. One of them uh, is a Netflix series which uh, launched a while ago. And uh, so it's called Glow. It's about women wrestling. Uh, I watched one or two episodes for getting ready for an appearance at the Bushnell with Mark Maron because I didn't know Maron's work that much. And then I just sort of put it aside. Well, I just watched the whole thing. And it's really, really, it's funny. Uh, it's also, you know, in, in the way that people try to be these days, it manages to do, uh, make some real commentary about human relations 
uh, about uh, how people both do and don't get along. Uh, but it has uh, some genuinely hilarious moments in it. I didn't really know too much about Alison Brie. I'm not somebody who I never really watched Community, I guess, which is where she shines. But she really shines in this. She is uh, just a tremendous comic talent. And, and I also, like, I got wrestling better. Like, my son likes wrestling, and I've never really quite understood the whole thing. Um, and then I'm going to give a plug to a West Hartford Center restaurant. Not that West Hartford Center restaurants need any help from me. I should give a plug to a parking space near a West Hartford <laughs> restaurant uh, instead. But uh, Division West, which is a fairly new one there on, on LaSalle Road. My son and I ate there last night, uh, and I'd had a little snack there after the movies, after going to see Molly's Game on a Saturday night. Uh, and um, it's really kind of nice. I believe the Division – yeah, Division West. Yeah, what did they call it? Something else? No, no, no. you got it right. Yeah, Division West. Uh, it's um, – Oh, I see the joke he's making on the computer. Um, so, yeah, and I believe the chef uh, is somebody who had something to do with peppercorns uh, here in Hartford oh. and handed on over there. So uh, we really had some really good food there. So Division West, particularly if you can't get into one of the other <laughs> restaurants, <laughs> there were empty tables last night. You might be able to do it that way. Uh, I do want to uh, thank everybody who helped out with this show today, uh, including Jonathan McPants, who put the whole thing together. So lucky to have this terrific panel uh, of uh, Kate Russian, Tanisha Dugan, and Rich Holland. Uh, We will be back on Monday with a scramble where we are going to react to the news of the weekend, which for once I think I know what it's going to be, but that's a very (laughs) dangerous thing to say in 2018. (laughs) Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.